here's something about Dante's take on the Trinity, this huge part of the Christian dispensation, which you might expect to fascinate him, not only because it's written into the creeds, but because the Trinity in some ways represents the liminal space within Christianity, at which what we can just about understand tips over into what we can't understand. And so that expansion of our perception at these boundary points, at these horizons, at these mysteries, is bound to draw Dante, and indeed the Trinity does, but in a particularly interesting way. Because what he does, I think in effect, if I was going to capture it in a nutshell, is take Trinity 101, if you like, that which you might learn about in Sunday school, that it's somehow three persons, that a one person, maybe a bit like a three-leaf clover is a one plant. He takes that and explodes it in order to entice you, initiate you as a reader of the Divine Comedy into a much profounder perception of what this is about. And I think it's really important nowadays because Trinity 101 is about the beginning and the end of it, so far as I can tell, within much modern Christianity. I think that's because Christianity has entered a kind of flatland where everything must be related primarily to our perceptions of things that we know here on planet Earth. And so the Trinity gets reduced to a kind of moral imperative. Um, the idea is that up there in the sky somewhere is a perfect community of three people in one person, enjoying each other's life, giving to each other and so on. Um, and we must aspire to that as separate people here on Earth, trying to improve our capacity to relate. So you get social doctrines of the Trinity. Now Dante did know about that take on the Trinity. His direct contemporary, Meister Eichhardt, for example, preaches about it and says that what that doesn't understand is that the Trinity is primarily about how to understand the ontology of the creative world, how it is in itself, how it mirrors and reflects and amplifies and brings more creativity and freedom to the divine being by its existence, because it's part of the divine as well. And he says that, Meister Eichhardt, this is, says that in order to understand the Trinity aright, the first and fundamental step is to know how things can be distinct, but not numerically distinct. How they can be multiple, but not in quantitative ways, but qualitative ways. Um, Coleridge was to take this up when he talked about distinction without difference. It's different aspects of creation. This is not just a Christian view, you see it in other wisdom traditions. So for example, Aristotle reflected on how three is in many respects a more perfect number than one, because three has, you might say, beginning, middle and end. Um, tries have more robustness, like a tripod is going to stand more robustly on the earth than a monopod. Um, three is a much more interesting number in terms of producing multiplicity than simple unity is. And so Dante runs with that mysticism about threeness, about trinity, and sees how it's written actually throughout the fabric of creation. 
And when you can see that, he says, then you understand more about why this idea is so central within the Christian view. Now, what happens is that trinities start to appear right from the get-go in the Divine Comedy. And I think you can almost track them and see how each time one becomes fairly explicitly manifest, it takes you more deeply into the true understanding, which requires the shift of perspective, so that the Trinity becomes a way of seeing the glory of God more completely in the world around us. So it first appears with um, Dante waking up in the dark wood, um, Virgil meets him there, and Virgil tells him that he has been sent by Beatrice, who was sent by St. Lucy, Lucia, who was herself sent by the Virgin Mary. And there's a trinity of persons there. And I think Dante is suggesting that we begin with what we think we know about the trinity, that it is um, three distinct persons somehow joined into one. Um, maybe not quite what you were taught, um, but nonetheless, sort of how the mind initially tries to grasp this idea. But you'll notice immediately he's doing something different with it. So, for example, this is three females in this trinity that he's presenting to us, three women. And he does that all the time. He belongs, you know, in this period of Christianity which, where people could regard themselves as completely orthodox and yet hugely invented, inventive spiritually. Um, and it's because they understood the core aspects of orthodoxy in such profound ways that they could be so inventive. They didn't have to keep putting themselves back to a sort of literalism or fundamentalism about Christianity. They perceived the qualities, they perceived the spirit. Um, they saw it, I think, in reality. And so, like reality itself that um, diversifies and complicates and plays and introduces variety into the unity of the divinity. Um, so Dante can do that with Mary, Lucy and Beatrice. Um, if you like, Beatrice becomes the Christ figure to him and of course at the top of Mount Purgatory she is very, very closely aligned with Christ as the incarnation of God that leads him back to the divine. Lucy, associated with light, is perhaps a more spirited manifestation of the divine and she actually is the um, force that carries Dante up Mount Purgatory on his first night there. He spends three nights on Mount Purgatory, which we'll come back to. But Lucy is a kind of spirit figure who provides the energy that lifts and helps him ascend um, in the story of Mount Purgatory. And so, too, she's the kind of go-between the Virgin Mary and Beatrice in this first appearance. And then the Virgin, she is the kind of father figure um, the Aboriginal source, um, we find right at the end of the paradise that she is most highly celebrated because within her creative capacity as a woman, she didn't just give birth to God, but was herself given birth to by God, um, her womb enwombed and then was enwombed by the divine. Um, and so she can right at the beginning represent the Aboriginal abyss, the ground, to use Meister Eichhardt's phrase, which is the, which is another important aspect of the Trinity as well. Um, so we get three persons appearing a bit Trinitarian-like 
at the beginning of the Divine Comedy, introducing us to, you know, what we kind of perhaps know, but immediately exposing that and saying, but look again, um, already I'm telling you something different um, in the presentation of this Trinity. Um, a next manifestation of the Trinity comes when they reach the floor of hell and um, encounter Lucifer frozen into this place that's almost falling out of being. It's only just holding on to existence um, before it drops into nothingness and hence its frozen state. And Lucifer is there and the creature of light who once was closest to the divine and because of his momentary sense, Dante says he lifted an eyebrow that perhaps the being that he was so close to could be his own by possession, in that instance fell because he cuts himself off from the source of being. And But nonetheless, when Dante and Virgil meet Lucifer in hell, he still reflects a key aspect of the Trinitarian life by having three faces. Um, they're described as a yellow, red and black and they can be allegorised in various ways. But I think that what this is saying to us is that even when you're furthest from God, if you look, you see perverse, no doubt, but nonetheless true aspects of God. Even that part of reality which is almost falling out of reality it's so far from its source and Aboriginal being, will still carry aspects of Trinitarian vitality, if you can but look. And in some ways, Lucifer is still made in the image of God, therefore. And I think that that's one of the reasons why Dante hints that even Lucifer ultimately will be gathered back into the divine life because the divine life still has an imprint upon Lucifer, even in this most desolate of states. They move into Mount Purgatory, having seen Lucifer. Remember, they, they don't turn their backs on Lucifer and walk away. They approach Lucifer, clamber onto his body. It's by bringing the light into the darkness that we make progress. And they start the climb up Mount Purgatory. Um, as I mentioned, there's three days and three nights on Mount Purgatory. Um, and this takes the Trinitarian insight into the realm of time, you might say. Um, if we don't just look at creation as a place, but look at it as an unfolding of time, we'll find Trinitarian aspects there as well. And this, I think, most clearly comes to the fore when they meet Statius, fairly high up Mount Purgatory. Um, he is the soul they encounter who has finished his time on Mount Purgatory, even while they're there. And purgatory is the place of time. Um, it's the place of change. It's the place of reflection. It's the place where there's a present so that the past can be encountered but illuminated, unlike the souls in hell who are just stuck in the past. Illuminated, and then that enables freshness to come in, a bit like the light shining into the darkness, sees the darkness in a different way, sees it as a turning point. So this completely unfolds for souls on Mount Purgatory and leads them into a different tomorrow, which is actually an eternal day. They see this with Statius. He um, completes his time on Mount Purgatory. He stands up and the mountain shakes 
and then they encounter him. And so the two of Dante and Virgil, for a fair bit of purgatory, becomes a three. Um, as Dante himself gets closer to God, so threeness opens up quite literally in his company. And that's so interesting because they're able mutually to help each other into a future with this threeness. Now, Dante and Virgil as two had got quite a long way, um, but Dante is the guide who only knows so much. He's travelled through hell before, he tells Dante, and so can be a kind of binary guide, a companion. But in order to move into new spaces that you haven't travelled before, you need a dynamic of three. I mean, put it like this, you know, if you have a problem, you might wrestle with it. It's like you and the problem. And then you'll do something to try and find a new way to encounter the problem. You might go for a walk, you might speak to a therapist, you might sleep on it. You bring in a third, and very often bringing in that third produces a new perspective. It takes you over what seemed like a fixed horizon. Um, threeness is the way into new light, and sure enough, Status is joining Virgil and Dante does that for them. But it does it in a particularly interesting way, Dante always leading us into more depths of perception. Because it turns out that Statius is a kind of pivotal figure between Virgil and Dante. Um, Dante, of course, is born within the Christian dispensation. Virgil is born before the Christian dispensation. And it turns out that Statius was born in the first century. And as he explains to Virgil and Dante, knew of the Christian dispensation and so became a secret Christian. And that's how he explains his place on Mount Purgatory. He, as it were, was able to learn something in his mortal life that could carry him more speedily to the divine. But what is so interesting is that he says he learned about Christianity initially from Virgil. And Virgil writes in one of his poems about a child who was to be born that was to create a new era. And this was understood to be a prophecy of Christianity. And so Virgil, unconsciously, without even knowing it, knew about Christianity as well, knew about this Trinitarian structure of reality. Statius could see it in Virgil before Virgil could see it, but now introduces Virgil to it. But Dante needs Statius as well. And what Statius is able to explain to Dante is that, well, in particular, why the mountain shook. And that was because the heavens, the creation itself, was rejoicing in Statius's readiness for paradise. And so Statius, the kind of liminal Christian, if you like, is able to amplify what Dante as a born and raised Christian could know. So you get this lovely sense of unfolding between the three of them. And they're each at their own particular points in the journey towards God. And by being with two others, being in a three, they're able to find out more about how to carry on that journey, which is fundamentally about how to expand their perception of reality. Because as is now completely clear for Dante, high up Mount Purgatory, the way that we journey more into reality is by deepening our perception of things. And that opens up new domains, new realms. And the method is often Trinitarian in shape. So they 
carry on. They get to the top of Mount Purgatory to Eden. Virgil leaves them, I think, because he must pick up his journey more directly now, having completed all he can as the companion of Dante. And they move into paradise. And trinities start appearing all over the place. I mean, the trinity is routinely sung and celebrated and danced, enjoyed by the angels and the souls that they meet. Um, they very often sing about how love and the beloved produces loving or how about the knower knowing gets to know what's known. Um, this threefold nature um, starts to show up as characterising depth of perception. But they meet the Trinity, well, through perception rather than head on. And you might say this is one of the most remarkable things about paradise, that they don't actually see a kind of concrete, literal take on Christian doctrine at all. Instead, the doctrine is a means to deeper insight all the time. Um, so by now, if you've read the Divine Comedy, you might be wondering when Jesus, for example, is going to appear. And the figure of Christ does appear in kind of visionary flashes um, two or three times in paradise, um, is sort of omnipresent in the energy or felt quality of various places, um, but never is seen directly. And when Dante does see Christ directly in paradise, um, he's blinded, he can't cope. Um, again, I think the intimation here is that if we think we've kind of got Jesus, um, you know, Jesus is kind of there for us, if you like, but if we think we've got Jesus, then we haven't because Jesus is this mode of seeing more and more deeply into reality. A couple of ways in which that appears, when they discuss the cross, for example, in the heaven of Mercury, it's a complicated discussion, but it's what Dante's driving at, in, at heart, I think, is that if you take a literal view of the cross, as if God needed to die in order that we might be able to come to heaven, you miss the point. Um, Dante learns that, you know, that's kind of one way of reading it, and God kind of allows that um, because, it again, it's connecting with where people might be at. But a deeper understanding of sacrifice comes to Dante at that point, where Christ becomes the type for us all. So, again, it's like us, how we find heaven. Christ comes in as the third to become the type that enables us to adopt the way of life that might open up more of heaven and a literal bloody sacrifice which you know the minute you start thinking about it is um, pretty abhorrent as if it were God's requirement um, becomes an attitude of self-sacrifice by which we offer our life back to the life from whence it came in order that we can receive more life and so more enter more and more fully into the flow of life itself um, this is in Eastern traditions, this would be called the idea of non-attachment. Um, it's the idea that by receiving all that we might, but immediately letting go of it back into the life from whence it came, we become more and more transparent to life, and so open up to life that more fully. So it becomes a kind of attitude or a, ultimately a habit, a virtue, and that carries us more into the divine life. And so Christ's true sacrifice is that, Christ lived this fully as a human being and because as a human being lived 
the nature of sacrifice to the full was also fully transparent to the divine. The cross becomes a kind of emblem of this, um, but it's not a mechanism. Um, and Dante has that idea knocked firmly, I think, on the head in the heaven of Mercury, quite low down in paradise. Um, another trinity appears in the heaven of the sun when they meet various of the great luminaries in the light of the sun, whose words on earth shone most brightly with divine truth, um, particularly Thomas Aquinas. Um, but there's a trinity even in their gathering um, because they gather as people who disagreed on earth. Thomas Aquinas, for example, actually declared one of the souls he appears with now, a heretic, um, that Seagar of Brabant, um, who was an Averroist, an advocate of Islamic views of things. And Thomas, who wrestled a lot with Islamic view of things, nonetheless declared Seagar a heretic on earth. But they appear now together in heaven. And the reason why they appear together, though they disagree so profoundly on earth, is because of a Trinitarian structure of illumination that their different perspectives, although they weren't reconcilable on earth, it's seen in heaven, actually were pointers to the one truth when seen in the light of the heavenly sun. And they can understand that now in heaven and so can be both fully themselves together, but illuminating a third with their togetherness. It's a kind of perspectivalism. Um, just in parenthesis, I don't think actually it's a Hegelian idea of thesis and antithesis forming a synthesis. It's actually something more profound than that. It really is different takes on reality that, because of their difference almost, can illuminate the enormity of reality all the more. Um, if the difference could be collapsed into a kind of synthesis, that would actually reduce their capacity to see reality that's traced in a Trinitarian way. And Dante sees that in the heaven of the sun in a Trinitarian understanding of things, paradox can be held as paradox. Difference can be embraced as difference because that is what illuminates the magnificence of the whole all the more. As Ibn Arabi um, was to say in the Islamic tradition, which of course doesn't have any overt Trinitarianism, but he talks about how we can be walking away from God and discovering the extent of God, how we can be walking towards God and be discovering God's proximity, but then also walking within God and discovering a fullness that wasn't conceivable even when we were walking towards God. Um, that, in a way, is what they experience in the heaven of the sun. And the final trinity appears to Dante, of course, in the beatific vision, in the Imperium, but in no literal way, because instead I think what Dante realises more and more fully in this highest of the high heavens is how when he looks everything has this wonderful turning threefold structure illuminating the divine unity and the great thing about a threefold turning is that it's dynamic it dances it radiates it carries more and more life from the infinite source into modes that he can perceive it and that's i think the fullest understanding of the trinity that dante offers he speaks about it as carrying the divine abundance into all things. It's not ultimately about relationality, although relationality may well be one way in which we experience abundance. It's really written into the fabric of everything. And so almost at the close of the 
Divine Comedy, almost at the pinnacle of the beatific vision. Dante does say he gets a glimpse of the Trinity, but it's as circles turning, intermingling, exchanging light, like a kind of double rainbow that shares the light, and so the light that's shared actually becomes the rainbows itself. And one, two, and three is played on in this image. And we're left with a sense that the divine unity spreads and radiates, gives of itself, outpours, emanates into the creation in multiple myriad manifestations, sharing multiple myriad vitalities and dynamics. And so we have this sense that the one becomes two in the manifestations, that's also simultaneously three, because those manifestations themselves can only be manifestations, us, all created beings, by sharing in the one vitality and being that is both their source, their life, and their destination. And when Dante says we can see that, we can see how creation perceived aright is in a way no more gloriously revealed to us than by this Christian idea of Trinitarian life. <laughs>